The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. You guys may or may not know, Bobby's family basically has the plague. Um, <laughs> so, and I'm sure that what you're thinking to yourself is, don't they have a fail-safe for this? Well, yes, we do. We have a couple. They all failed. So the fail-safes failed. Uh, so uh, Rick Garrett is at our Winter Garden campus this morning, along with Mike Price, who would normally fill in and lead so that this could happen. But we found out yesterday that Bobby was really ill, so you guys can probably just thank him for not coming today. Um, so with that out of the way, we're probably going to pray again because you can't pray enough and I feel incredibly nervous today. Um, had about two hours last night to spend with this, but just love you guys so much that we wanted to just continue to share with you in our series today. So, um, let's pray together. Father, we pray that today, God, that our hearts would be knitted together for the sake of the glory of the gospel. God, we pray that we would hear from you today. Um, God, we pray that you would be exalted. God, and we know that your word never returns void, and so we claim that promise from the scriptures today as we prepare our hearts. God, we ask that you would be glorified, and we pray these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So there's a lot of ways to begin a moment like this, and the thing about it is, is this is one of those moments that I feel like should be heavy for us. We should sit in this a little bit today um, as we think about the scriptures that we're going to read together. And Bobby's kind of a jokester, and he even like wrote in his notes, I'm not going to do any jokes today, at least not to start off, because the weight of what we're going to talk about should be so heavy to us. And so even though um, the temptation is always to start off and get people laughing, that's not what we're going to do today, um, although we already did that a little bit. So today we're going to really look at what the centerpiece of the gospel is. It's gonna, it should bring us to our knees. I'm, you know, I'm a, a songs guy, so I think of these songs and I think about like what we're reading and what we're doing. There's a song, um, you know, that is... Uh, I just realized I wrote it, so I'm sorry. Um, but the song, <laughs> the song says, how can I come here and not be moved? And how can I stand and not fall on my knees? And so I think as we think about the scriptures, we should think about like what they are saying, that we should be moved at times throughout worship services and through the reading of his word. I'm not suggesting that you get down on your knees as we read the scripture, but just think about that. It should drive us to our knees when we hear the greatness of what God is doing in our lives and what he has done for us. So if you guys would, turn to John 1, verse 29 through 34 in your Bible. If you do not have a Bible, there is one at the ends of the pews, and this is the page number for you. If you do not have a Bible for real, we want you to take that Bible home today as a gift from us. So we're going to begin reading. We're just going to read through this. There's a lot of things we could say today, but we're going to center in on this one uh, piece today. The next day he saw Jesus, this is John the Baptist, coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! Exclamation point. It's important. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. So last week we talked about John the Baptist and who he was and who he was not. And we understood, and John understood that he was not the message. Jesus is the message, but John is the messenger. And I think back a little bit to our grace community that we had last week and just processing through the fact that John, this incredible um, teacher, rabbi, is like, I am not fit to untie his shoes. I'm not fit. And feet are kind of dirty. And in those times, feet would be super dirty and gross. And John is like, man, I I, I can't even untie his shoes. He's so much other than me. And so in the text, he, um, he reveals the message and he accomplishes what he was sent to do. And John points away from himself and turns everyone's attention and hopefully their affections toward Christ Jesus. And we pray a lot that God would stir our affections. And so that is what we want to see this morning. Now I want you to try and put yourself in this scene. John the Baptist has been talking about that one whose sandals he is unworthy to untie. And then the next day, he sees Jesus coming towards him. And he could say anything. But what does he say? And I'm sure that he raises his voice as loud as he can. Here's that exclamation point, And he's making sure everyone can hear. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That should draw us to repentance. That should draw us to this feeling of joy. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I am feeling a little overwhelmed right now, just saying that out loud to you. And I was thinking about um, Pastor Rick Garrett from, um, he's the executive pastor at Grace, and I see he's preaching at Winter Garden this morning. He told us a story of his little girl, Hannah Kate. I'm guessing at the time she was maybe four years old, and they were in the Publix at College Park. And this is such an incredible story. Um, she's like a little prophetess or something. But she raises both hands in the deli at Publix and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Man, are we saying that? She is saying it. She is four out of the mouths of babes. And he said that later she said, Oh, I was trying to decide between whether or not I was going to say that verse or repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> and so, man... She knows what is going on. And then this one sentence, Hannah Kate and John proclaim the very essence of our message. And if you've been around the church for a long time, we've heard this description of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's an old song, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin, who makes new life begin. And as you'll see today, like I, just, I feel like I filter everything through songs and music. So there's so many of those today. It doesn't so, if we've heard this so many times, sometimes these things become familiar to us and they don't strike us in the way that they should. Like I said, I preaching and proclaiming to you, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world makes me feel unworthy. It makes me feel a little emotional just to think that we have that opportunity not only here, but in the world. And so, think about these words, and I know I don't look like a guy who listens to Point of Grace. But it, there's a song 
that I, it just came to mind when I thought about this not striking us the way that it should. And it's understandable, but that doesn't mean it's okay. But the chorus of this song says, God forbid that I find you so familiar that I think of you as less than who you are. God forbid that I should speak of you at all without a humble reverence in my heart. God forbid. So it's difficult for us here in the 21st century to appreciate the power of this announcement. But if we think about these things in the context of the first century and that John is proclaiming these things to the Jews, this announcement would bring about an incredible avalanche of meaning. Now, Bobby sent me this picture. Bobby will tell you he's not an art guy. I like art. Um, but he was reminded of this painting, and it's called Agnus Dei, um, which is Latin for the Lamb of God. It was painted uh, by a Spanish artist named Francisco de Subran. I think that's right. So as we look at this, we're going to read an excerpt from a commentary that really captures what this painting is about. And this picture is a little bit dark, so you'll notice at the bottom the lamb is laying on something. And as you look a little closer, you'll figure this out. And this, um, he says, as I looked closely, I saw it was a lamb almost photographically rendered. As I looked more intently, I saw the lamb's legs were tied and that the animal, shrouded by the dark background, was lying on a cross. I wanted to weep. I stood there and I looked at the picture for a long time. It was not just the beauty that held me, but the theology of the atonement. John the Baptist's words kept running circles in my heart. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, throughout the Old Testament, and Caleb Brasher, our um, Claremont pastor, wrote this in our guides. Throughout the Old Testament, God institutes practices and rituals to teach his people that they can only be forgiven for their sins through the death of something in their place. And whether that's the Passover lamb or the bulls, goats, and rams killed annually on the Day of Atonement, God is teaching his people that sin will always lead to death, either your own or something in your place. But he's also teaching them that animal sacrifices aren't good enough to take away their sin forever. And that is why the Day of Atonement had to be repeated each year. So we see that for centuries Israel had been programmed with the idea of the sacrificial lamb. And so this description of Jesus would have flooded their minds with these types of images. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And we're going to keep saying that. So let's explain, let's think about where the first century mind would go when they heard the phrase Lamb of God. Would be directly related to the Old Testament, and they would begin in Genesis, and they would be reminded of Genesis 22, where we find the story of Abraham and Isaac. If you remember, Abraham and Sarah didn't have a son. They only had a promise from God that he would make a great nation, and he gives them Isaac. But then he instructs Abraham to sacrifice his only son. I have a son. No way. I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> These Jews would most likely hear the words of Isaac when he said, Behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Think about Abraham's heart right now. 
Abraham replied, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then they would have remembered the ram God provided in the thicket. But the Old Testament survey doesn't end there. John's audience would also think of the Passover lamb. The Exodus account, how Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And the night before they left, they were instructed to paint the blood of a spotless lamb on their doorposts. And the angel of death would see the blood of a sacrificed lamb and pass over their house. And what about this beautiful passage from Isaiah 53, 6 through 7, who says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So John's statement made it clear that Jesus would be a sacrifice for sin. God had provided the lamb for their deepest needs in the same way he's provided the lamb for our deepest need. And that's the forgiveness of our sin. And think back to what Caleb said, that the lamb was not sufficient, but we have the perfect lamb in Jesus Christ. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a very center of the gospel, isn't it? It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us. Now we should proclaim the death of Christ, the sacrificial death of of him, but it is dangerously easy to move away from the blood of the atonement in order to make people feel comfortable. But it is only the blood of atonement that makes them clean and washes away their sin that reconciles us to God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Hannah Kate knows what's up. So we remember as the blood of Christ that cleanses us. This is the primary message in John's witness to Christ. And it should be primary in our witness and in our thinking about Christ. The Lamb is our eternal message. It laid out a biblical theology in bullet points. It might look like this. Abraham and Isaac prophesied Jesus' sacrifice. The Passover applies the principles of Jesus' sacrifice. Isaiah 53 personifies Jesus' sacrifice. John 1, we identify the sacrifice What is it? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins. And in Revelation 5, we've magnified Jesus' sacrifice. So the Bible has been clear from Genesis to Revelation. The entire sacrificial system pointed to this day, pointed to the cross, to the ultimate sacrifice that once and for all would deal with our sin. And John introduces him, and what does he say? Do you want to say it? I'll get us started. Let's say it together. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Michael Lawrence in his book, Biblical Theology in the Life of the Church, writes, An effective sacrifice is a substitute. We saw a ram slain in the place of Isaac. We saw the Passover lamb slain 
in the place of the firstborn. And we see the same kind of substitute pictured in the book of Leviticus. A point punctuated when the person lays his or her hand on the animal. In the same way, Jesus provided an effective sacrifice for us by offering himself to God as a substitute. So this is the central message of the gospel. We were separated from God by our sin, and God sent Jesus, the Lamb of God, to be substituted in our place so that our guilt would be placed on him and his righteousness would be given to us. So most of us who've been a believer or walking with the Lord for a while understand what John is saying. However, our salvation does not depend on this formulation of the atonement. It depends, our salvation depends on that experience. So I think back to my own experience as like a 10-year-old where I sat in church and my parents weren't like really churchgoers. Um, they sent me to church with my grandmother, which was pretty cool. It turned out pretty, pretty all right for me. Um, and there was a day, my mom happened to come to service, and, uh, and like there was just this moment. And I, come from, I was in Little Southern Baptist Church, and so every week, organ plays, pastor stands down front. He's like, you know, if you want to come get saved, probably was, I have decided to follow Jesus. That was playing. Someone chuckled because they know. Um, but I just, I remember that point so clearly that like for the first time, I, f- I felt the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And to me, this like brings up all kinds of theological ideas in my mind. But like my mom was like, well, can you just wait till next week when your daddy's here? I'm like, no, 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 it is now. Now is the moment. And it wasn't a coercion. It was an understanding of what God had done for me. It was that moment um, the experience of the atonement for me. And it's never left. I still, I still look back. I couldn't tell you the exact day. I know roughly when it was, but I remember the moment. And I'm not saying that you have to remember the moment because this is a, prog- a process and it's different for all of us, the way that God calls us to himself, but he does call us to himself. And so we experience the atonement So the question for us today is, is Jesus our lamb? And do we really believe that he died for us? If we really understand what that means, it changes our lives completely. We realize it is not by our merit that we are forgiven, but through the broken body and shed blood of the lamb of God. Man, And so as we sang earlier, the guilt and shame that plagues so many of our lives should be thrown as far as the east is from the west because the source of that guilt and shame was sin. And God has dealt with that once and for all. Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. And so this should empower us. The message of the gospel should empower us. We should remind ourselves Every day, we should seek to remember and share this truth every day and always remember and celebrate the sacrifice that Christ is for us. And you know, this is not in the message, and this is not one of those moments, uh, um, this is not planned, but as I sit and I think about this, there may be one of us who do not, have not had that, 
We do not understand the atonement for ourselves, and today may be the day of your salvation. We're not going to do anything official here this morning. I'm not even going to pray a prayer with you, but I would love for you to talk to someone. There's a lot of people. Ben is one of our elders, would love to talk to you. Any of these guys up here would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. They help you understand the magnitude of what Christ has done for you, that it may be your very own. So he really and truly is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's say it together again one more time. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's us. That should affect us this morning. Behold him today. Church, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, we pray that there would never be a point in our life where you become so familiar that we forget who you are. God, we pray God, for those who have not yet responded to your call, God, we pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, that they would seek out others to grow. God, to take their next step toward you, and maybe it's their first step. God, we pray that you would be glorified. God, as we sing and we respond to your great love for us, God, we pray that our hearts would be drawn, that our affections would be stirred, God, and that we would behold you, that we would celebrate you.